0: Buddy, and welcome to this spoiler review for episode two of season three of picard here brought to you by the geek buddies, buddies. buddies.
1: we got we gotta get a new one like when it's just the two of us we just gotta figure out a new vibe i gotta figure out yeah. like what are like I mean, I can make fun of Shannon every week and I truly don't mind. Right. But we should probably find out a, a new way to do it. We'll have to, we'll have to offline
0: this. We should we'll have some rec- We should have Shannon record it for those times he's not on and then we'll play it and then we're, we're good. What do you think? No, maybe? I don't know. But well, we'll see what yeah. we can do. Uh, maybe we should get Patrick Stewart to do butters. Now,
1: uh, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want. That'd be fun.
0: Yeah, but we're jumping into, see- into episode two here of the season three, the much heralded season three here and excited to be jumping into this one disengage which of course is not what picard says at the end of the episode but we are going to engage in this episode and break it all down for you this is a spoiler review spoiler review so if you haven't seen the episode do us a favor go and watch and come out and hang out we're also going to talk to you about some of the easter eggs we usually like to review this by breaking it down between the two storylines we've got the jack crusher picard beverly crusher titan storyline and then we've got the raffi storyline of course they're eventually going to meet especially after this episode so but for right now that's how we're kind of breaking down these episodes as we go along but like i said easter eggs and what have you uh getting into the so Michael, this one was interesting because we got to see Beverly Crusher outside of the med pod. Now the 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 reunion of her and Picard. We got to see Worf back on screen as Worf for a for the first time in a very very long time in the Rafi storyline. We got to see more of Jack Crusher, and we got to meet Captain Bennett, who is Amanda Plummer. Who is the daughter of christopher Plummer, who was general chang in star trek six the undiscovered country so a lot in this episode after a bit of a table setting first episode for us to jump into what do you think overall of disengage i am so happy
1: (laughs) like i am just happy like i i it's one of those like there's sometimes you have a show like last of us where we're just like oh this is so great and there's sometimes you have a show where you're like a little bit disappointed and you're like ah this isn't really working for me and this is just I am elated. Yeah. I feel like the next generation crew yeah. is going out with a bang and it's something I didn't think I would get to see. And I am el- this is like like I was watching the second episode. I know I texted you during it, but like yeah. this is this is peak star Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is as good as Star Trek gets so far. Now maybe it's not going to last all the way through but based on what a lot of critics who have seen uh more episodes than we have have said that's not the yeah. case but no. it is firing on all cylinders. It it knows what it is. It knows how to be referential to the other Star Trek stuff that has come before it without feeling like it's just copying the same stuff. Yeah. It's hitting a lot of the same themes and like I said last week there this is a very Star Trek specific thing. Um there is just something about Seeing the crew that you grew up with. Yeah. Getting older, not always looking like they're in tip-top shape, not being in their prime, but going out on one big adventure. And within the show, they are also older yeah. and not in their prime and it's right. something that's remarked on and it's it's a thing that they did with the original cast through all of the uh the the OG Star Trek motion pictures. Yeah. It's a thing that they were probably planning on doing with the next generation cast, but the the last two movies did not do so great. Yeah. And it looks like now we're going to get uh on TV what is the the last great next generation adventure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, to all you next generation fans who are now older, and used to make fun of us for loving those old school movies, the original series movies. And I know there's some of you out there who are watching or listening to us. And I know that is a part of the fandom that was initially people were like, oh, I don't want to go back. The original series is so dated. What, these old people in space, they wouldn't be able to commandeer ships? Well, welcome to the boat. Welcome to the boat with your crew that you grew up with. And that's the circle of life and entertainment. Always, you know, when you're young, you're like, oh, yeah, mine, my stuff is cutting edge. And as it gets older, the nostalgia of those people coming back, you just can't help but be connected to it because you get older and you feel that nostalgia and you love to see them coming back. And this is the way to bring them back. And I agree with you, Michael. I think what they've done really well in this show is understand why people love Star Trek. It permeates throughout the entire show. Yes, is this more of the newer approach? Yes. But there is references to the old stuff. Are there winks and nods to things that are connected to older stuff of Star Trek? Yes. Are there winks and nods for those of you who are deep cut Star Trek fans? Yes. There's stuff throughout this episode as well with the Easter eggs that are little winks and nods. So they understand how to appeal to the entire fandom without risking the story and the narrative that they are centrally trying to tell and certainly in this episode we saw that again i really enjoyed what we got uh in terms of the in terms of the jack crusher storyline that developing a little bit more here seeing some more levels to shaw as well a little insinuation that there's a psychological issue with shaw that vatic refers to when she's uh, first on the uh, first hailed on the frequency there and having a conversation with everybody so i i loved getting more a little more of the fleshing out and then of course Riker confronting Picard and being like, dude, you don't see what everybody else sees. Are we not going to talk about it? Are we really not going to talk about it? I love that old school stuff coming back. And of course, Worf. Uh, I mean, uh, how could you not enjoy Worf chopping some people and slicing off heads in a seedy city on the uh, on the planet? So just so much fun to jump into that I really enjoyed from this second episode, fleshing out a little more of the main storyline here and also seeing where everybody stands in the the situation so i like that a lot um well let's jump into the uh, main storyline here michael as we go into this episode so Basically, we start off with Jack Crusher. He is on the ship here, which is two weeks ago. He's on Elias Twelve there, which is a Mariposa Medical vessel. He says, which is a, a reference to the 21st century Mariposa Medical Clinic, which was run by Dr. Teresa Ramirez in Picard season two. So, a little bit of a reference there.
1: A little bit of a, a little bit of a time travel reference. Had yes. they not gone back in time in season two, that would not be a Mariposa class vessel. But and like and look, that's what yes. I love. I think just really quickly on that I know I know sure, you're sure. giving the rundown but yeah. uh I do love through that through mentioning Picard's synth body like there's a lot of ways like yeah. they very wisely I think it's clear that they know that season 1 of Picard and particularly season 2 of Picard didn't really work. Yeah. But they haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. They right. even if they didn't work, they exist. They happened and they're still finding ways to give those references. They're not just like burying it and saying it never happened and I think that's right. good. I I like that you look, once something's out in the world, it's canon. And whether you nailed it or whether you didn't la- stick that landing, it yeah. exists. And using it to further tell stories, even if it's just a fun Easter egg like this, yeah. I think is a smart move.
0: I still keep waiting for somebody to mention Midachlorians in new Star Wars, but it hasn't happened. But yes, <laughs> I hear your point. Yes, you're right, Mike, because Rio stayed behind the 21st century to help Teresa with humanitarian aid. So It seems like this type of medical vessel would be part of it. Uh, But he is met by two Fenris Ranger ships they're trying to save. He says they're trying to save thousands of people with Galarian fever down on the planet. That's what Jack says. The Rangers come aboard, inspect the ship. Jack shows them the medical supplies and Romulan ale. A nice reference there. The bottle even looks like the one that Bones used in the Rathacon, which was our first introduction to Romulan Mm -hmm. ale when he walks in to give it to Kirk for his birthday. And they do drink it in Star Trek VI. So I, I wonder if that's a part of this as well. He brought them with weapons. We find out the warlords engineered the disease. And then the main ranger uh, says, um as they're leaving and they've taken the bribes, reach out to the marked woman. We found him. So a reference there to what we're going to see a little bit later. Uh, menacing ship. We head back to the present day and we see that this menacing ship is bearing down on Alias 12. Jack mentions that it was the rangers, then the Klingons who came by, and then three people in Starfleet uniforms talking about the Prime Directive. Are we talking about them? Who are we talking about there, Mike? With three people... Three Star- in the Starfleet uniforms talking about the Prime Directive. What was that? I, I, I think we're just pointing out that
1: whatever's going on here, and this is kind of like referencing what Beverly said in the first episode of Trust Ooh. No One, this is big. Like, this isn't yeah. like, oh, the Klingons are coming for us, or even it's the Borg. Whatever is going on and whoever is pulling the strings, both in this story and the Raffi storyline, it goes beyond race, beyond planet. There's people yeah. all over the place. Um I do think on the note of the prime directive thing, one thing that's very interesting about this season of Picard is uh, the way they're talking about the Federation, particularly Jack Crusher. Like, you know, in Gene Roddenberry's time, the Federation was great. The Federation worked. We had gotten rid of everything. Federation was perfect. Federation solved all problems. We had no money. Everybody got along. Isn't this great? Uh, Based on what Jack Crusher is saying, and it seems that Beverly is on his side, and there's a lot of references here to maybe the Federation is great in a lot of ways, but it's not perfect. Right. And even Jack Crusher's dismissive kind of, they what is he says, they were pro- they were trying to prime directive me to death. Right. Basically, it seems like what we're setting up with Jack Crusher here, and maybe he's conning all of us, is that he might be breaking the law, but he's breaking the law to do a lot of good. And sometimes these laws and the red tape of the Federation are preventing people from getting help. And I think just in the overall thing, the prime directive thing made me think of it. It's yeah. interesting that this Star Trek is kind of... Uh, poking some holes in the Federation, which I think is good and also reflective of the world that we live in today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 100 percent, Mike. And I also think that, you know, the entire series of Picard has kind of been poking holes in the Federation from season one on. So it sticks with the vibe of what Picard, but this is a little more on the nose that I think of what they're doing here with Jack Crusher, and of course Jack Crusher um, is a reference to Jack Crusher, who is his, who is a uh, Beverly Crusher's uh, husband. There, yeah, Jack not, Crusher Senior, right? And so, not,
1: not his dad. Well, not yes. his dad, right? Of course,
0: yeah. I, was, I corrected myself there because Jack Crusher died under Picard's command in the mm-hmm. bonding. We even learned that Wesley Crusher had issues blame and blamed Picard for the death of his father. So interesting stuff there. Are we going to get a Wesley Crusher Jack Crusher comp- conference? About their fathers? That's going to be really interesting if that happens. Anyway, Picard wants to negotiate, but Jack makes it clear they don't want to negotiate. They want to get Beverly on the shuttle uh, and get help from the Titan. The Titan picks up the vessel, but Shaw won't let the Titan engage. Riker essentially implies that Jack is Picard's son, even though Picard won't uh, admit it. Then The menacing ship shoots on Elios Twelve, and the shuttle is destroyed. And we see as the shut- the pieces of the shuttle fly by that they were going to put Beverly Crusher on and that, of course, um, uh, Picard and Riker had flown to Ilios-12 on uh, from uh, the Titan there. We see in the wreckage, Savik. The name Savik on the wreckage. So they named the shuttle for Savik. And, of course, for those you who know Savik, that is the uh, 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 the Vulcan officer in Star Trek II Khan, played by the late Kirstie Alley. And Robin Curtis took over the role in uh in uh, star trek 3 and savik according to i'm getting the paramount official logs on instagram it's savik was the captain of the first uss titan and we see the titans when shaw is in his quarters we see the previous we see all three titans rather there in model form so very interesting to see that and that so good beginning here michael what are your thoughts here as we intro all of this stuff to start off with here in this episode
1: Well, I think it's great the way that they show us Jack Crusher at the beginning. Like, kind of, like, taking a step back two weeks and seeing what Jack Crusher does, because it does sort of inform our opinion of him through the rest of the episode. Yeah. Because, like I said, everything he's saying... Uh, he does have medical supplies. He's not above bribing the Fenris Rangers. Right. Um, but he does have medical supplies and his entire point is that all of the uh, red tape that he is breaking the rules on is going to prevent these people from living. Yeah. And so you know we are sort of inclined to go, okay, maybe he is uh, an outlaw, but uh, like a lot of outlaws through history, he seems to be an outlaw who's doing the right thing. So right. Right. I love I love that setup of everything um then catching back up to where we are sort of uh in the in, you know all everything i think my favorite thing about all of this yeah is jonathan frakes acting which is not a sentence i ever thought that i would say but um <laughs> come on now he's good but jonathan frakes uh just looking at picard, like looking at uh jack and mm-hmm. looking at picard and being like dude come on and for the entire episode Like the entire episode is built of him being like, can we please talk about what is very obvious here? And Picard just being like, I am not engaging with this at all. But through all of it, like watching everything that happens while uh, the ship is under attack, and Jack Crusher is trying to do his thing, like this is what I love. This was what Mm -hmm. felt like classic Star Trek to me. Is Picard is setting up the thing to prevent them beaming Jack Crusher out. The guys come on the ship. Riker grabs the thing. He's like, "Throw me the bomb!" Like, like it is just two old dudes who are like back in the game, and there's something that is just so Star Trek about that to me, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. um and even when the when the uh ship blows up when their shuttle blows up and you see the Savic thing once again like look this entire team as much as they are going deep in the star trek the next generation cuts yeah this is a star trek two three and four group of people absolutely they yeah they they are like look the less said about five the better Uh, we clearly like six, but like these guys, this team knows the Star Trek movies to reference. And that whole run of two, three and four, I mean, search for Spock might not be perfect, but it's jammed in between two of the best. and has some great stuff in it. And that, and this is the trilogy that was all about, um, David Marcus, uh, Kirk's son, uh, that he had with Dr. Carol Marcus. And it was this big revelation in Star Trek two. And here we are in a, Mm -hmm. in a, uh, series that is very heavily referencing star trek 2 3 and 4 and picard is faced with his son with dr beverly crusher i mean the parallels between this it's just something i never thought i would see and i think it's just done so well um the other thing that's done oh what were you gonna say
0: real quick even the savik thing because of course savik essentially had the relationship with david marcus in two and three, or in three, it seemed like he was having. She was uh, having this relationship with with David. So there's even that connective tissue as well throughout this. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I. So I mean, just all of this down the line. I mean, look, David Marcus getting killed by the Klingons drove Kirk's character arc throughout yeah. the back half of his life. Yep. Yeah. his hatred to, for yeah. the Klingons. So, I mean, like yeah. this. This like defined Kirk. Yeah, in so many ways for uh for so much of his uh life as a character. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting, you know. Like I said, I don't know that the next generation crew has a lot more coming out after this, but it's going to be really interesting to see how this revelation affects Picard in this storyline. Yeah. Um the other thing that I think they're doing really really great is Captain Shaw.
0: Yeah. And we'll get it to that. It is a fine yeah.
1: line. Yeah. Well, but just even what you said like at the beginning of him not yeah. wanting to like help them like uh Captain Shaw is is going to be a great character this season oh yeah like you can already tell like they are they are very purposely not giving us a black and white here is the bad captain that the good guys need to fight again like this is an interesting complex character and i'm really excited to see where it goes
0: absolutely so let's head back there we go we go back to the titan hansen walks in or seven of nine if you want to shaw's quarters to confront him Put it on the table that he could be a hero and save these two heroes, the two legends, or be a pariah who let these legends die. Uh, Picard, as you said, Michael is posting these tra- these uh, transport inhibitors and he realizes that they want that, uh, America wants a uh, Jack Crusher here. Uh, they, the, as you mentioned, they board the ship, these people, and Riker kills two of them. They are being yanked into the ship then by a tractor beam, Elias 12 is uh beverly's med pod is losing power just then titan shows up and breaks the tractor beam and for those of you who are uh um new generation fans of the movies it's very similar first to contact. The Ent- oh, what's that yeah first contact, first contact. enterprise e warped in to save the defiant from the four from the borg in first contact they get transported out after picard's tractor beam inhibitors are broken by him after he placed them and uh, shaw and the boys uh once they get on the ship have a back and forth uh, they're being hailed, and it's Captain Vadic as I mentioned, and we see Amanda Plummer for the first time. And, of course, as I mentioned, she is the daughter of Christopher Plummer. A lot of people pointed out online that the chair she's sitting in is very similar to the chair that Christopher Plummer sat in in Star Trek VI, so maybe a nice homage to her dad there. She knows who Captain Liam Shaw is. She knows something about a psychological profile. She wants Jack because there is a bounty on his head. She lowers her weapon so they can scan her, sh- or lowers her shields, rather, so they can scan her ship and see all the weapons that she has, including this unidentified weapon that is locked and loaded in the bay of her ship. And then to show her power, she tractor beams the Elios and essentially throws it at them in space. That's a move I've never seen in Star Trek Someone throwing a ship at another ship. It was intense. Uh, And and so she gets off there. She says, you have an hour. Now they want to know about Jack Crusher. What's the deal? We find out as uh, um, Shaw confronts him while Riker and Picard are there as well that he has multiple names and he is a con man. And we hear all these names being mentioned. One of the names, though, James Cole is a reference to Twelve Monkeys, which is of course who Todd Statchwick, who plays Captain Shaw, was a series regular on Twelve Monkeys, uh, and so it's a reference there to one of the main characters in Twelve Monkeys. Shaw calls out seven of nine with the old needs of the many argument outweighing the needs of the few, and she is relieved of duty because she's. He says to her, "You sacrificed five hundred lives for these two people." So I had that Star Trek Two, Wrath of Khan stuff going through my head. Riker confronts Picard about Jack being his son, as we mentioned picard confronts jack and brings up his past crimes organized crime in and on, De- on, De- on doria sorry actual terrorism of binar 3 wanted for the death of a man andreas 5 he jack says beverly was behind him or alongside him and calls out picard because picard is like no way beverly would do this no way beverly would support this what are you doing and uh jack pushes back and says you haven't seen her in 20 years who is the same person they were 20 years later you've been on your vineyard so long old man that you didn't realize other people have moved on and you, you know people gave to a little bit of guff season two but we did see how everyone had kind of moved on from Bacard and doing their own thing and Picard was a little surprised to see the different dynamics in those relationships so you think he'd realize that as well but then Jack offers to sacrifice himself for his mom um, and, uh, and and reveals all this stuff about how she, her his mom was there either kicking his ass or side-by-side side with him. And then Sean Picard, or we go later on to Sean Picard and Riker arguing over Jack. And Sean makes good points here about the sacrifices. Then Jack escapes the brig. Riker wakes up Beverly. V- Vatic hails them to remind them of the time here. She informs him that her vessel is the Shrike, he explains what a Shrike is, and that we'll take a piece of them for every second they delay. They are informed of the security breach. Seven and nine finds Jack, and they have a standoff. Picard informs Shaw that Jack is trying to hand himself over, which is why he's trying to transport himself over to Vadic's ship. Just then, Riker, who has woken up Beverly, walks onto the bridge with Beverly Crusher, and Picard and her share a moment. She doesn't say a damn word, and he knows that Jack is his son. He tells Shaw, who has a great reaction, God damn it, and he hails Vadic and uh, Picard takes over as an admiral wood even though he's retired takes over as an admiral wood shoots them to escape and escapes into the net mutara i mean into the nebula not the mutara nebula but, and we hear that famous blaster sound cue from Star Trek, the motion picture, and from Wrath of Khan, the last time we saw a nebula, at least in my mind, in Star Trek, or the one of the most famous times, rather, we saw nebula in Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. So a lot happened here to uh, kind of ta- to, to uh, jump into in this storyline here, Michael. What stood out to you? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to get into here as we follow Jack Crusher's storyline all the way to this end where Picard takes the Titan out of range of Vatic's ship?
1: Well, again, like I think the most... I think the thing that they do really, really well here is a lot of times when you're writing a script and you know what your heroes need to do, you want to put a bunch of obstacles in their way. And a lot of times obstacle can be an obstinate captain who's just yeah. not going to listen to reason. Mm-hmm. But what they've done with Shaw is they've given us an obstinate, obstinate captain who has some really good points. Yes um you know i mean look we all love the whole kirk Spock. to your point we all love the kirk spock the goods of the many outweigh the needs of the one the goods of the one outweigh the needs of the many yeah. kind of discussion because that's how we all feel about our loved ones like yeah. in theory the goods of the many should outweigh the needs of the one but if that one is your best friend or your partner or your child yeah. you're going to do something different but shaw isn't wrong Right, in saying that he's got 500 people on board the Titan that he's yeah. responsible for, and he takes that really seriously. So even though obviously we're on the side of Picard and Riker and Beverly, and we want everyone to be saved and we want this stuff, he's not just being an idiot. And I think yeah. that's what's really interesting about his character. He's a lot of fun. Like he's yeah. a he's gonna follow the rule book. He's gonna do his thing. But even by the end, we're seeing like. This is gonna be an interesting kind of vibe between him and Picard and Riker. Like he's a great new addition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a for a season where we are all just really excited to see all of our next generation besties showing up, uh, I think he's a great new addition and I think he's gonna to do to give us a lot of Really, really interesting stuff throughout Uh, this story. So, I'm big, big, big fan of Shaw as a character overall. Let Um, let me
0: chime in on that before you move forward. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Mike. I really love what Todd Stashwick is doing with this character and how he's acting in certain moments and giving you levels without saying words in his reactions to certain things. And clearly, when Vada calls out his psychological profile, that's the first time you see Shaw actually pause for a moment. And consider what she might know about him that he doesn't want other people to know. He's all bluster right. and chest puffing out and swinging his dick around. But if someone knows that thing that unlocks you and makes you vulnerable, that could be a, a, um, a very powerful card to play when she wants to play it and could upset the di- power dynamics on the Titan. So you love that they've given him this little thing that might get exposed and keep, you can have in the back of your mind as you watch this season. And The fact that he does get convinced by Seven of Nine. So there is an instinct of his to do the right thing, to interfere there in the beam. And then later, he doesn't stand in the way of Picard taking over his ship. Even though he's a retired Admiral, he doesn't have to listen to him. But he lets Picard take over the ship. Picard has more experience with these kinds of evasive maneuvers and fighting stuff that logically makes sense. But he didn't have to, and he does. So that also kind of signals an interesting element to his character and he knows a lot about jack crusher he asks questions he asks legitimate questions and he and he and he defends his position very well Mm -hmm. and it makes sense and you're right making him a a much more fleshed out three-dimensional antagonist is so much better for the overall narrative of the show go ahead yeah Yeah. uh
1: well and then and, and additionally uh props to jerry ryan Uh, as Seven of Nine. She's really just doing a great job of holding her own in these scenes. And even when she doesn't say anything, like when Shara leaves her of duty, Mm. the look that she gives him I don't want anybody looking at me that way like she's she's just doing a great job and she you know I obviously as a big Voyager fan been a big fan of her throughout uh, her entire career in Star Trek but I think what they've done with her uh, in you know season two season two but particularly between season one to here and her arc of becoming a Starfleet officer something that she always wanted but something that she's willing to throw away for loyalty. Uh, and okay. I think, you know, obviously with the next generation crew in these stories, and again, hearkening back to Star Trek and Khan and like and spot and the search for Spock and Voyage Home, like loyalty to your crewmates and yep. your ride and die homies is a big part of what we love about Star Trek. And a lot of what's happening here is setting up that kind of storyline. And yep. then if we're gonna talk about good performances, let's talk about Vatic. Uh, Amanda yeah. Plummer's creepy as fuck. <laughs> Creep <laughs> like and you know, like cause like with Star Trek baddies. It's yeah. really hit or miss. And like, right. sometimes you do get a Christopher Plummer in Undiscovered Country, and you're like, okay, I'm into this. Uh, and even Christopher Lloyd in the Star Trek original series movies as a Klingon, uh, he wasn't, he was all right. He was all right. <laughs> um, or you get a Borg Queen, but sometimes oh, you get some, and great. you're just like, yeah. sometimes you just go, eh, this isn't it. And right now, like, she's suitably creepy, and yeah. the mystery surrounding her, what her ship is, what she's about, why she's so focused on Jack Crusher. Like, it's all really compelling, and she's a heavy hitter. Like, I mean, this ship, like, to your point, uh, when Star Trek does action and they do it well... It's a lot of fun, like a lot of Star Trek just for the nature of what it was as a TV show is a bunch of ships floating in space with a bunch of people talking to each other and arming phasers and photon torpedoes and disarming phasers and photon torpedoes. But not a lot happens. But when they go for it, which they did for a little bit in this episode, both with the Titan coming in in the first contact homage and yes. the Shrike just hurling oh, the Mariposa uh, at the Titan like to your that was great. Like, yeah. it was awesome. I also particularly liked Lieutenant LaForge uh, <laughs> trying to explain, well, like my dad always said, there's nothing that physics can do. And he was like, and Sean's like, cool, 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 cool. We got, we, got, we got to talk about other things here. So just a lot of really fun. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, as you can tell from, like, me just sort of gushing about this episode, I was just watching this. And, you know, I think any of you who are listening, any of us who are Star Trek fans – We've had our good times. We've had our bad times. Yeah. And we've all lived through some bad movies. We've lived through some rough seasons and we stick with it because we love the bigger ideals of Star Trek. But when it hits, like I remember sitting in a movie theater with my dad and my little brother when First Contact came out. It was a packed college theater in Gainesville, Florida. And when that Enterprise came in and rescued Worf from the Borg ship, people lost their shit. So seeing that happen again last night with the Titan, like, I'm cheering in my apartment like an idiot by myself. Like, I'm like, this is fucking awesome. So it's all really great. And then as, we were, as I was saying earlier, the Picard-Jack Crusher scene, really wonderful. Like, Picard yep. coming in and just interrogating him, the back and forth. And also kind of knowing that Picard might not want to admit it, but he knows who Jack Crusher is. Yeah, he
0: does. Yeah.
1: And Jack Crusher... Knows who Picard is. Like, they they are both, well, neither one of them wants to talk about it. But it's very clear in the subtext of this scene what's going on. And Jack Crusher lays it out. Like, Mm -hmm. sure, everybody wants him because he broke all these laws. But he says, you know, like, look, the people that want me are, like, low-level gangsters and thieves. Like, not someone with this super-powered ship. Like, so, again, this mystery of what's really going on, really interesting. And then all leading up to this moment you know, forcing Picard into a position where he has to admit the thing that he just does not want to talk about. Right. Um, and seeing Beverly's face and just seeing the look that he gives her and him just closing his eyes because he's like, fuck.
0: <laughs> it,
1: it, and again, it's dangerous. Like, look, I'll, yeah. I'll put it this way. When the new Star when the J.J. Abrams Star Trek series said, we're going to do the second movie, and we're going to do Khan, and yeah. they cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan. That's a big swing. Yeah. And although that movie is not horrible, there's a lot of nice things about that movie. I like. That. I don't think. I don't think that they, they're not going to match Khan. Right. Like they, they took a swing, and it's not a home run. Right. Benedict Cumberbatch, as much as I love him, is not Ricardo Montalban, Khan. Like nothing. That, you can't quite hit that level. No. What they've done with Picard and Beverly and this Jack Crusher thing, like. It's getting pretty close to hitting that David Marcus,
0: Carol Marcus,
1: James Kirk moment in Wrath of Khan. And that's a big compliment.
0: I agree, 100%. I mean, and I think that's what's great. And that's why you have, what's been great having all this time with Gates McFadden and with uh, Patrick Stewart in their respective characters for multiple seasons of Next Generation. You have that mental stuff to refer to, those uh, connective moments those flirty moments those moments where you thought they were going to do something and it didn't and all those things so all of that is part of the narrative you bring into an, a season like this with of khan you kind of just had to imagine and bb bash who played carol marcus did a fantastic job laying the levels down with her and shatter shatter did of course playing back and forth and then david h- h- him playing him kind of dialing into this tension between them two between those two as well and you know remember he fights his father he physically fights his father in Wrath of Khan so will we see that between Jack and and uh, Jean-Luc I don't know but I like I mean that this, I hope not this...
1: like I think Jack can take I mean like I love Jean-Luc I don't know but what his body real. can do though Mike okay good it's...
0: point fair fair <laughs> so, so, so we'll see I mean the balance this will be interesting and I, I love that Gates McFadden doesn't have to say a word you put the context into that and you're caught up in that, and I really enjoy that, and I think Jack Crusher is is just as interesting of a character as Shaw is becoming, because we're seeing all these different levels to Jack, and we don't know yet 100% what to believe, and it's so perfect that Picard won't admit it, till Beverly walks on to the bridge and looks at him, and goes, you know what the fucking truth is, you know what we did, do the math, with her eyes, because Beverly was always the one on Next Generation that was like, Jean-Luc, Cut this shit out. This is what's really happening. Face it. You know, and John always had issues facing family stuff. Always. That's kind of his thing. That's why he escapes into being a captain. That's why he's on a fucking vineyard. He's not a guy who likes to deal with the emotional stuff of things easily. Whereas Kirk runs into emotional stuff. Picard is always hesitant about it. And so I like that they've kind of they, made this. Melody. I've never,
1: I've never realized until this moment why you like Kirk more and I like Picard more, but it's now very, very clear to me. So after 20 years of friendship, it's, it's, it's clear to me which one I am and which one you are.
0: I agree. I agree. Let's find your, let's find your tryst and your son somewhere. I'll be down with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. And we'll jump into the uh, second storyline here with Rafi uh, right after this.
1: Ba, ba, na, na, ba, na, na. I feel like I gotta do it. <laughs> I didn't so. know if you
0: were gonna try. So. Ba, na, 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 na. All right, so I love that theme. All right, we go, oh, oh, And, and oh, I want to say one last thing. It was nice to see a nebula at the end. It was nice to hear that uh, a, bl- a blaster sound again. It just gave me chills, you know. Well, so I loved as an old as an old school original series fan uh, of those movies hitting that. Oh, I was. 100%. Well, but you know the thing about yeah. that blaster beam noise, and yeah. I
1: didn't. And then I like I actually was like looking it up. So yeah, it's hundred percent the sound of v, that Viger makes.
0: Yeah, Viger makes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they also use I, it with Khan in the last shot of Khan when they go back to Khan, and he's like with Hells with my last breath, I spit at the. It starts off with the. Oh. So yeah, it's it's there. Going yeah. So
1: but the other thing that that beat that sound is is the sound of Jango Fett's percussive <laughs> grenade in attack of the clones that Boba Fett used in The Mandalorian. It's the oh. exact same noise. That that scene. So if you if you go and you listen, it's a weird thing. So like the um I actually did look this up. It was like okay. uh the sound effect that was in Star Trek the Motion Picture is the sound of Viger. Yep. Uh the blaster beam instrument was invented by John Lazell, popularized by Craig Huxley, uh who also appeared on Star Trek the Original Series. But so this noise that was kind of invented for that, it's this really weird, like, like, go listen to V'ger, go listen to Khan, go listen to uh, Vadic, heading into the Nebula last night, and then go watch Attack of the Clones or Mandalorian Season 2, and you're going to be like, yeah, that's the noise. So it is a, uh, it's a crossover noise, if you will, between
0: all of our favorite sci-fi franchises. All right. Uh okay, we cut to let's, let's jump into the storyline. We cut to wrap it here watching video of the terrorist attack, which we saw, of course, in the last episode. She reaches out to her intelligence contact at Starfleet, has a back and forth about the attack and her guilt over it. She is informed that Starfleet is blaming Lurak Toluco, a Romulan trigger man, which she thinks is ridiculous. And we hear about Sneed, a Ferengi crime lord, being the one who implicated Toluco in all of this. She is told to stand down. But you know, if you know Rafi, you know she's not going to stand down in any way, shape, or form to this situation. Uh, we cut. We go back to the seedy city. Rafi is going through it. To uh, oh no, she goes into to talk to uh, Jay, her ex uh, there, and they have a conversation. Um, and he wants and she he wants to know. Uh, oh, she wants to know about her son and all of this, and they're having this back and forth about it. And he she apparently ambushed their son to try to see her grandchild. And that kind of caused some problems. What's that? In season one. In season one, right, exactly. So we see that we see that being referenced here in this situation. But she asks Jay for an intro to Sneed, Sneed because Jay knows people who work at that bar, so he knows Sneed. Um, and then Jay makes a really, just a really interesting, um, puts an interesting choice out there for her to say, either I can talk to our son for you, Gabe, and kind of smooth things over there, or I can talk to Snead Right now, you make the choice. And Rafi doesn't have to say a word, and he knows that she is choosing to get the intro to Sneed. So what an interesting moment here. I thought it was really unfair of Jay to do that. But then again, I haven't been through... back and forth of that relationship and maybe you know for people who've been with people who who suffer as addicts maybe this is that kind of tough love moment that you have to do sometimes but anyway cut back to the cdc the raffi going through it to jay's bar to talk to sneed she meets sneed who is played by aaron stanford who was james cole in 12 monkeys he was also pyro in the two x-men films x-men 2 and The last stand and was Seymour in La Femme Nikita with Maggie Q. He talks about relics and memorabilia, and there's even a baseball there, Michael. And I saw some people wondering if that was Cisco's baseball from Deep Space Nine, which would really be interesting. Um, Rafi says she's you know, she's not working for Star's Fleet, and that she's a freelancer. She brings him some kind of drugs. He looks at it, and uh, she wants to know his connection to Toluco because she says that she works for Toluco, uh, and so she knows it wasn't him who, who did that attack. Um, He thinks she's Starfleet Section 31, a reference to a lot of things that's been referenced before. He asks her to prove it by offering her drugs, and she takes it. The drug is called Splinter, which is another 12 Monkeys reference, because that's the time-traveling tech they have on that show. She fights it off, insisting that she works for Toluco, but then Sneed says... I know you don't work for Toluco because I got, I got his head right here and says that she'll be dead soon. She stabs Toluco's hand as he reaches for his little black book. Sneed's hand. Sneed's hand. Sneed's hand. Yeah. Sneed's hand. And then loses her energy from the splinter falls down and through her haze and through uh, other shots, we see this shadowy figure slicing up all of Sneed's guys and then eventually taking Sneed's head off as well and it we see as this shadowy figure and we probably already knew picks up Rafi. we see that it is wharf and he says i told you to stand down this is the first time that we've seen michael dorn as wharf since 2002 in star trek nemesis and just a little background real quick he appeared in the most episodes of star trek which might surprise people 174 episodes of next generation 96 episodes of deep space nine and here's a little trivia when we see him Jerry Goldsmith's Klingon theme, which was in Star Trek, the motion picture, is played. And it was also the same theme that was used for him in First Contact. And the weapon he uses, it's a new weapon that was designed by Dan Curry, who designed the Batleth and the Mekleth. The new Klingon weapon he uses here is the Kurleth. So, Michael, your thoughts on this Raffi storyline, the interactions with Jay, the interactions with Sneed, and Worf coming in now to be added to this season two, uh, or season three, rather, of Picard.
1: Well, it's interesting. It's, uh, from season one on, it was interesting wondering where they were going to go with this Raffi storyline yeah. with her son, grandchild, the whole thing. And I think what they did here, which is really interesting, is it's an inverse of what we were just talking about with uh, with Jerry Ryan and Seven of Nine's character. Yeah. Like Seven of Nine makes a choice that the good of the few... Uh, outweigh the good of the many in wanting to rescue Picard and Yo. Riker. But here, the ultimatum that her okay. ex-husband gives her is good like, point. look, I, I know you want to have this relationship with your son, uh, so I'll talk to him or I'll go hook you up with Sneed. And they do a really interesting thing because we're kind of on, as much as we are on Jerry Ryan's side, Yeah, that you better go in and save Riker and Picard, here, Raffi's like, there's a bad thing happening. I can't let this go. Yeah. And so using this whole storyline of her and her son and she's willing to let that go to get to the bottom of what's happening. It, it makes me like raffi a lot i think yeah. it was a really great i think they set they again they used what they had sort of been given with season one and two and what we know of Raffy so far yeah. but i think they used it really really well to sort of put us in a position where we're like Raffy's Raffy's gonna ride or die this thing like she is mm. in it to win it and she's gonna get to the bottom of this shit like it makes her like kind of a badass
0: i think you make an um, excellent point she chooses to go the needs of the many over the needs of yeah. the few that's that's still great Mike. I didn't catch that. Go ahead. Yeah, so Um
1: so then Sneed is all, I love Ferengi. Oh my god. I love Ferengi. I <laughs> yeah. think when I think when Star Trek the Next Generation first came out, they thought Ferengi were going to be the new Klingons. Oh, like they were like these maybe. are going to be our big bads. Like if you watch like the very early like, season 1 when the Ferengi show up, yeah. they were very like, "Oh, these are these new bad guys." And I think they quickly some that realized like, "Okay, these guys are no Klingons." But <laughs> they have become they're sort of the equivalent to like in a way like what the huts are in the star wars universe Mm -hmm. Okay. like they are just these underworld wheeler dealers um from quark and ds9 like they're just they're just fun yeah like you just you can never quite trust a ferengi but like you kind of can like they're just uh playing a ferengi must be an absolute blast and and sneed is just in the very little time that we have with sneed is a great ferengi Mm -hmm. um And again, you get this whole idea, you know, Star Trek, in in Star Trek, the motion picture and next generation, there's always been talk about the Federation not using money and that there's no money in the 24th century, but there clearly is money. And Raffi kind of shows him a bunch of money. And it's just interesting that like, again, we're making this distinction that the Federation has a way of doing things, but there's a lot of things outside of the Federation. And I think diving into that is a really interesting thing that they have going on. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like Worf showing up is great. It's a great reveal. As soon as she's like on the floor, kind of swimming and her eyes are hazy and you sort of see him come in, we all know who it is. Yeah. We all know what's going on. (laughs) And uh, I had this funny reaction because I was like, I don't really know why Warp is there, but I mean, I'm on board. Glad he's in the show. Let's see where it goes. But then the reveal that he was her handler. Yeah. And he was the one that was telling her to disengage. um, It's a really interesting dynamic. And I think, again, bringing this Warp... Rafi relationship into play uh, is going to make Rafi a much more like I just I I feel like oh, yeah. even in two episodes they're doing more with Rafi than uh than they did in a lot of the first two seasons uh, of just really sort of defining her and who she is, what her values are, what's important to her. Yeah. Um, the other thing I just really wanted to mention two things really quickly is, again, Rafi. Not wanting to let something go that the Federation is clearly trying to brush over. Another not great look for the Federation. Right. The other thing is, what is the Romulan's name? Who has his head? What's the guy's name? Oh, uh, t-
0: uh, where is it? T- t- Toluco. Toluco. Yeah.
1: I have never heard a Romulan name that sounded so much like an Italian gangster from the 1960s. <laughs> like, it is the. F- I was like, they literally <laughs> were like. How do we do a Romulan name that also kind of sounds like a mobster? Like, let's
0: just go <laughs> for it. And I think they really did a great job. I think Toluco took over New York for Johnny Sack after he was Sopranos. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I, I, like to, I like the introduction of Sneed a lot. I was actually sad that he got beheaded because I was really enjoying his kind of creepy approach to it. And a shout out to um, – uh, shout out there to uh, – oh, God. I can't f- uh, find the name here. But shout out to um, – oh god i i can't find it sorry guys i can't find the name but shout out to the actor who played him because he's also obviously, like i said he's on uh, 12 monkeys i thought he did a fantastic job playing the character here and kind of uh, giving it so many considering it was only one scene you're getting him to come in and play that part i thought it was a really great decision here to see oh uh, yeah there it is aaron stanford because i remember aaron from tadpole which was his first film Where he plays, it's like college kid who learns how to, uh, you know, kind of woo women, older women. It's an interesting film, and I thought he was going to be one of these kind of new up and coming young actors. And he's consistently worked, given props. He's consistently worked, so it's nice to see him getting even more of a shine here uh, later on in his career here on Picard. So I thought he did a nice job with Sneed, and it was a shame to see that character go. But the Raffi stuff, it's it's you know as as difficult as can be, as we spoke in the last review, Michael. What do they do with Rafi? Well, making her kind of explore the, um, un, how, I, how can I say this? The, as you said, the um, brushed off loose ends or the covered up the loose ends. The, the edges, the edges
1: of the Federation. The
0: edges of the Federation. There you go. If I walking along the edges of the Federation, it's naturally going to mess with you. Plus, she's an empathetic, caring, loving human being who has an addiction issue. So him putting a splinter on her, how is that going to affect her later on? We don't know. Jay certainly confronted her about her being clean, how long she's been clean. Him saying to her, You go down these black holes, or you go down these wormholes. I mean, how many people in our lives, who some of you watching or listening, have people in your lives? They start to get triggered by a by a, a conspiracy theory or a black hole. They go deep into it, and they start to kind of lose their minds a little bit. We see that. So it's just a little bit of a reference there. Some people, it leads to their addiction because they see this terrible stuff. They buy into this terrible stuff, and they start to lose faith in humanity, lose faith in the world, wonder what it's all about, and become self-destructive or well, what the point of it is, and become self-destructive. So you see that. So I like that they have this element. And look, I haven't seen any of the future episodes, but I have a weird feeling because they've always had an issue with where to place Rafi, that maybe down the road, Rafi may make the ultimate sacrifice. We've seen a lot of um, connections to Rathacon throughout uh, throughout the first two episodes already, Mike. Who's going to be the Spock who dies? And I wonder if Rafi is going to be the Spock who dies, the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few, since she's the one that has that mentality. Are they teasing us that she is going to eventually be the one that sacrifices her life to save the overall mission of what they're going for here. Uh, in, and, and we, when we find out who the actual real big baddie is, uh, in this whole situation, because there has to be something more behind Vatic. I think there's something more behind her.
1: There's definitely uh, more something think. more behind Vatic. And yeah. look, when you, I'm just looking at the, the, the screen behind you, uh, yeah. that's not data next to war. No, that's lore. That's, that's lore. Yeah. And lore, is a pretty compelling big bad, uh, <laughs> yes. I think. So I, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm re- who has a, a history with the next generation crew. So. I yeah. would be, re- uh, uh, you know, and also because we've got a lot of really high end tech being stolen from the Daystrom Institute. Yes, which is point. also tied to data and the history there with uh with with synthetic people yeah. uh, in Picard, which is something was set up in season one, right. and just uh I, I I'm getting a lot of lore vibes. Mm. So I I'm intrigued by all of that. Um, but yeah, look, good this point. is compelling. This is yeah. great, man. This is. This is this is Star Trek. Like yeah. this is what you want and they're giving it to us. And um just across the board, uh it's just it's presenting a bunch of really interesting ideas and like I said at the beginning of this review, they're giving the next generation the exit that they deserve.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We haven't even gotten everybody yet. So this yeah. has been a great beginning. I love that they're slowly rolling everybody out and putting him into positions. And of course we're gonna get LaForge, we're gonna get Diana. We're gonna get so much here coming from the rest of them. And certainly a Beverly Picard scene has gotta be coming in the next episode where they actually have a conversation with their words and confront all of this stuff. Probably a family meeting with Jack as well, which will be real real interesting to see. Uh, all right, but well, there you go. Any final words, Mike? Are we good? No, that's it. I'm uh engaged. <laughs> engaged. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, all right, well, thanks to everybody for watching this spoiler review or listening to this spoiler review. We appreciate it madly here from the Geek Buddies. Mike, what do we have to tell?
1: If you would like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, we are at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow John, he is at the Roca Says. If you would like to follow me, I am at MKToon. Uh, in addition to that if you want to do a little bit of a help for us uh, a little friends helping friends buddies helping buddies here you can hit that like button below you can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page check out all the amazing content he's got there both with the Geek Buddies and without leave your comments below what are you thinking of Picard so far Like, is yeah. it meeting all your Star Trek expectations are there any easter eggs that we missed what do you think is happening who do you think the bad guys are what's going on with everybody let us know below if you are listening to us on a podcast go ahead and just uh, leave Leave us some stars leave us some comments help us go up in the rankings so more people can find us and as always the best thing that you can do is retweet this video post it on your socials send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies
0: yeah absolutely i want to find out what you guys think about what Worf's role in all of this is as you said michael raffi walking the edges how is Worf involved with intelligence to figure this all out Worf, a klingon in the federation What is his whole role on all of this? And remember, Worf's ancestor defended Kirk and McCoy in Star Trek VI, right? So we there are there are things going on here, wheels within wheels. So I'm very curious. I want to hear what the fans think down in the comment section.
1: I will get. I'm gonna say, and Shannon's not here, but we we get nerdy about a lot of things but we are certainly nerdy about star trek with this series so uh it's just we're going deep
0: we're going deep guys we are having fun and big shout out to carbon health who continues to power and sponsor us here on the geek buddies you know carbon you got you got healthcare questions concerns or needs head on over to the fine folks at carbonhealth.com or download the app to have a doc in your pocket. They believe in creating healthcare plans just for you. They've created new new programs there for people to deal with their mental health issues. You know, it's a real thing that we're, a lot of us are dealing with in the world. So it's something you can explore and investigate to help you virtually or in person. So go and check it out today, carbonhealth.com or download the app to have a doc in your pocket all right you y'all might take even
1: it. you might even say that uh carbon health is the 21st century equivalent of beverly and jack crusher trying to cut through the red tape and help people get the medicine they deserve
0: a mariposa medical ship maybe you might say. <laughs> <laughs> all right y'all take care yourselves be well and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode or another spoiler review here from the geek buddy, buddy!